Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Amber Stainings, CEO of Buns on Seats and One Inspirational Human. Coming up on today's show... Amber highlights her number one reason to join hospitality. There's also a couple of really good mentors in the industry like you and me, Phil, which I guess, you know, if, if that doesn't entice you, then nothing will. Phil eloquently sums up what we're all thinking. It's mental out there at the moment. And Amber reveals the best place in the world to apologise. And he said, you're the most polite person we've ever had in an ambulance because I just kept apologising. All that and so much more as we talk through Amber's incredible story and journey to date. Amber is a source of energy and inspiration throughout and there's so much learning in here about listening to your body and mind and making sure that you look after the most important person in your life, you. A huge thank you to Amber for sharing her story so openly. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So please remember to like, subscribe and review on whatever platform you're listening. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Since starting this humble little show back in April 2020, I've been connected with so many awesome humans and so many wonderful stories and journeys. Along the way, I've stumbled on some absolute gems, and today's guest categorically fits into that description. Currently the CEO and founder of Bums on Seats, which is definitely the best company name I've had on the show so far. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome to the show Amber Stainings. Oh, Phil, thank you so much for having me. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here and what a great welcome. Yeah, ah, thank you very much. You're very welcome. And uh, how are you anyway? Do you know what? Uh, I think we were just chatting offline. I think we're anyone in hospitality at the moment. We are feeling the strain of, uh, of how busy the industry is becoming, everyone gearing up for Christmas. But that aside, and actually, I love that time of year anyway. So I'm, I'm really good. Yeah, I'm really good. I feel in a good yep. place to have a chat with you. I feel, I feel quite relaxed, which is nice for a Friday. That's Good, yes, As, and that's the right frame of mind to be in. That's when all the best conversations happen. Um, so yeah, but I, uh, I'm with you 100% on board. The um, it's mental out there at the moment. <laughs> it is, it is, Phil. It really is. H- why do you think it's so mental from your side? Well, I'm I'm in the world of recruitment, mm. and there's uh, there's one or two people missing from the industry at the moment, and um, mm. yeah, everybody's recruiting like crazy. So that's just keeping me very, very busy. But hey, after the year that we've had, I definitely will not complain. Yeah, bring it on. Absolutely. Absolutely with you. Yeah. So I really can't get rid of this frog today. I don't know what's going on. I've had too much coffee. That's probably what it is. I've completely destroyed my vocal cords. Where where are you in the world today? Where are you recording this? I'm actually uh, at home at the moment. So I relocated to Guildford sort of two and a half years ago, um, just wanted to get out of the rat race of central London, which was a fantastic decision. And finally, actually, this year, I feel like I can enjoy the lifestyle in, in Surrey, which is obviously far healthier and more wholesome than, than my lifestyle previously. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right. live from my flat. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, actually, the, the that lifestyle thing was kind of one of the reasons why uh, I reached out to you in the first place. I I was trawling LinkedIn late one night, just going through through the feed, and here was this wonderful little story that I'm really glad that I took the time to read because otherwise we wouldn't be here having this conversation. But it was all centered around you, and uh, you'd had a health scare, 
mm. uh, and the kind of the changes that you'd made. Now, I'm probably getting ahead of myself because we'll probably come on to this as part of the natural story yeah. in any case. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the reasons, well, it's the main reason why I wanted to reach out to you in the first place. But then, you know, discovered that behind this is a, is a, is a human being with a, a one hell of a purpose. Absolutely. And, and, and actually, I, I think I was staggered by the response of, of my sort of very honest um, LinkedIn post, had no idea it would reach so many people and, and, and sort of it means so much to so many people as well. So I'm great that it was able to, you know, to connect you and I together, first and foremost. I think that's, that's really positive. And yeah, I am a, I'm a woman on a mission, I think, Phil. I think I've always had I, what I sometimes felt like was more integrity than the average person <laughs> and always right. had to throw everything into everything I do at, you know, uh, working at a pace that I know is, is can sometimes feel quite difficult to keep up with myself on, let alone expecting other people to. So, yeah, I'm definitely on a mission, um, I would say. And, and I think that's partly who I am as a human, but also how passionate I am about about this sector that we work in, about hospitality in that industry. Um, uh, And actually, there's been pros and cons to that. And and the the, the cons to that did actually lead really to the health scare that I'm sure we will talk about at some point. So, yeah, a lot of positives as well. And as as you know, uh, my glass is always half full. absolutely that's definitely we've not known each other very long but i definitely you are uh i think your glass is more than half full frankly but um it's it's brimming actually probably yeah well i i came up with i was having this conversation with somebody else on somebody else's podcast once upon a time and i came up with this saying because i'm a glass half full kind of a guy Mm -hmm. and um but actually i came up with actually i I feel like i'm a glass is eight tenths full (laughs) and the reason why i'm not higher than that is because it's nice to get your glass topped up unexpectedly oh I, I thought, like that yeah I thought it was a little hospitality great. edge to that yeah great analogy very clever I like that yeah I might pinch that one Phil very good yeah by all means I, I, <laughs> I don't mind pioneering cliches that's for sure <laughs> oh, fabulous well uh, we will get into that but let's before we get there let's go all the way back to the the beginning how did you get into hospitality in the first place Oh, great question. So uh, I get asked this a lot. And I, I feel like I've tried to perfect my story to, to slim it down a little bit. But there's probably no, there's no um, sort of fast way to, to say it. Ultimately, I was I was a fantastic child. And I had a great child. Of course. But when I turned to be about 14, 15, um, my rebellious streak kicked in. And quite frankly, I hated school. Now, I've actually been to eight schools. And that wasn't because I got kicked out of them all. I was only kicked out of one. But right. <laughs> my parents moved around a bit. And actually, I love, I thrived off that. And I do think part of the reason I have a confidence to speak to anybody today and build rapport with different types of people is because at a young age, I was sort of thrown in the deep end of lots of different schools and situations. Situations and already mixing with lots of different cultures, which I absolutely wholeheartedly love. Mm. However, from school years, I definitely did not do well. And I was actually classed as a, as a complete outcast. Um, one of my uh, headmasters said I was a complete lost cause. And that was it. Right. Was sort of branded. That's really motivational. Really motivational. And I was branded at a young age that my best options were probably going into nursery school teaching, uh, if I was lucky, um, or, or waitressing. You know, that was kind of where... where where I was pitched, which was bizarre because when I was uh, much younger and I actually was privately educated through scholarships and we won scholarships, my sister and I, I was a bright kid, you know, and I was a bright adult, but for some reason, the school system let me down. Anyway, why that matters is that at the age of 16, I actually left home. 
And I got a little flat walking on the water, if anyone knows that. And I was paying my rent uh, with dodgy checks and building up ridiculous amounts of debt, having no understanding of money or finances. Um, And I got a job working for a small telemarketing, telesales agency called Silver Wings. And I will never, ever forget that company or my boss, a lady called Gillian. And she was probably, she was also the first female leader, leading role, other than my mum, I would say that I had in my life, apart from a primary school teacher of mine. But all the other teachers in between, I just didn't find them over inspiring Um, and she was fantastic and no matter what I was going through in my rebellious stages and by that I'll be blunt you know that included drugs booze boys it was a really naughty time for me I always went into work and I always had Gillian and she believed in me and so I was working full-time and earning from you know the age of 16 17 now I always as well as that I always had waitressing jobs and I was actually a waitress from the age of 13 and my grandparents owned pubs so being in and out of hospitality from a young age the first place I went out of hospital was a pub you know that was just it's part of my family culture But then I linked that with this telemarketing job. And actually what we were doing is selling into the food service industry. And I was calling up prisons, for example, and selling sausage rolls and all this stuff, which was ironic considering how naughty I was at the weekend. Um, (laughs) But anyway, long story short, I was there for about three years. And Gillian, uh, I progressed through the company. It was tiny. It was turning over a quarter of a million quid a year, which actually now I appreciate how hard work, how much hard work it is just to get to a quarter of a million a year. So I'm not dissing it. But um, I was actually managing the business for her. Her mum was very sick with cancer. And I was I was basically managing a team of six other people by the time I was 19 Um, a lot of these women were older than me Um, and one of our clients who was a fantastic guy again still a really close friend of mine called Simon Halton Dodd who was at um, who was at Tate and Lyle he approached me and said look we've got this charity business called SOFHT real mouthful Society of Food Hygiene and Technology I can see why they abbreviated that I know we used to call it softy for short (laughs) why don't we need a business development manager would you do it and he was offering me I mean 32 grand a year by the time I was 20 it was staggering and so I said to to my boss Julian thank you so much you know but I've got to take this job because I needed to get out of this small village mentality and all the trouble that I was getting myself into so I took this job and I actually moved home with my parents finally which was exactly the right thing to do and I was traveling all over the country you know I remember going up driving up to Newcastle and back in the day and being at Greg's head office Um, I had meetings at Dyson you know I was running conferences and events and I just transformed this business development of this tiny little uh, charity, non-profit organisation. Um, and I did that for, again, two, two and a half years. I had a company car. I was probably taking home about 45 grand a year at the time of 21. And I thought, this is bloody fantastic. Yeah. I was seriously outgrowing that other part of my life. And so I then... Quickly as well, yeah, quickly. Really quickly. Yeah. Um, and then I then took the leap into London and thought, right, I've done this now. It's great. I know all about... I know how to drive up the M25 and all around the country without a sat nav because they didn't really exist then I used to stick post-it notes all over the steering wheel of my car for directions and I can't tell you the amount of times I've had naps in dodgy places just to make the journey back because I would just have no idea what I was doing but I God, we just don't know how easy we've got it now do we I mean no how easy you've got it and especially someone that was you know even though I've been to a few schools I had a fairly parochial you know uh, sheltered childhood because it was lovely you know my parents are amazing but anyway so that was that was good fun I had a couple of scrapes uh, in between with some, 
you know, the usual stories around uh, inappropriate male figures, uh, thinking that I was a young saleswoman that was, you know, up for it. So I had a few of those experiences, which I think women in business would be able to talk to you about. Um, But, you know, all they do is just make you more switched on and stronger anyway. So not not to dwell on that as a negative. Um, But long story short, went into uh, London, went for a job at Novus Leisure which was the first year back in 2009, I think it was, that they were really taking um, this idea of putting salespeople and sales roles into uh, Novus and expanding their sort of late night London concept and and thinking about bars and clubs as pre-booked sales spaces. Obviously, restaurants have been doing this for years, but this was for the late night industry. Um, And I took a huge pay cut down to 23 grand a year from about 40. Um, I was bunking on my sister's, um, my sister was living in London already. I was bunking on her in a flat on a sofa for a few weeks. I had a sort of dodgy boyfriend that tried to move to London with me that didn't work out. And I was sort of sofa surfing around London, going into work at Novus in my little pencil skirts and giving the impression that I, you know, knew my shit, which obviously I did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had no idea what was happening behind closed doors. I mean, my first day of work, I got off the tube and my skirt was split from top to bottom. And this woman tapped me on the shoulder at Piccadilly Circus and said, you do realise everyone can see your knickers. And I had to run into boots and beg them to sew up my skirt. And it was my so, life. so embarrassing. But and I thought, right, you know, this is when you know you've made it. Anyway, um, <laughs> and I did about eight months as a sales manager for the, the second largest nightclub in the West End on and on. Now it's called Piccadilly Institute. And they knew that I had a better, a bigger experience, a broader experience than than the role that I was given. So very quickly, I was running Late Night London. And I took that business. When I went in there, it was turning over about a million, 1.2 million a year with about four people in the team. In literally within three years, um, it was up to about four and a half, five million quid. So I I sort of quadrupled sales in there, um, had a great team, did all the structure. I was just really good at managing people. And yeah. really good at putting the right people in the right place. And I loved sales. And sales is obviously about the relationship. Um, I think there's a people have a, a different connotations with the word sales, but but it is just about the relationship and building trust and empathy with your customer and your guest. Yeah, yeah, yes. Team. That's what it is. And I was bloody good at that. And um, I did Late Night London. That put me on the map. And then basically, I, I, I just grew through the sector. I'm going to try and keep it shorter and sweeter now. But I grew through the sector. And, you know, I had roles like Jake and Morgan, where I was director of sales. And I, I implemented the sales structure from scratch. I went into Deltic Group and I was mentoring their head of sales. And again, pulled over all of my knowledge across Deltic. Um, the same with, did a lot of work with Casual Dining Group. Back in the day, I sort of started, if you know Steve Richards, I, follow, I like to follow him around. Um, but I have, <laughs> I have, I have, I've had the most fantastic career. And then to cut, I, I will tell you this little story before, and I'll, then I'll stop talking so you can get a word in. But um, <laughs> I will tell you this story because it's it's great and it's a story that I tell quite often. So because of all of this, and you've got to remember now that I've probably done 10, 12 years straight of just work. And, you know, I didn't do uni. I barely did college. I didn't go all traveling. Um, I had a lot of debt when I moved to London. I kid you not, about 15 grand because I was using dodgy checks to pay rent. Um, and 
all I did was graft and I paid off all that money and I got my own little flat at the age of 25 um, and I've lived on my own ever since actually but when I was at Drake and Morgan and because I had just worked to the bone for all of these years without and I hadn't really done the fun part of London either I had a little bit but I was serious about my career and I'd done the fun part when I was 16 17 and it didn't work out for me particularly well yeah so um I decided at Drake and Morgan that I needed to take a break and go traveling and just book a one way ticket to South America because South America has been my dream. So I said to Gillian, I'm going to do this. And to be honest, Drake and Morgan was the only role I've ever had in this industry where I thought I really was going to have a, a, a breakdown. It was the most stressful, challenging role for lots of reasons. So I, I, I booked a one-way ticket to South America, but I didn't have any money, obviously, because I paid off all my debt and I was just living hand to mouth and mm. I was still living, you know, living on my own. So Julian said, look, we'll be your first client if you go as a freelancer. And I thought, oh, that sounds a good idea, being a consultant, because you can earn more money. You don't have to work, you know, as many hours because you're billing for your time and it's very strict on your time. And actually, I can just get loads of cash and then bugger off to South America for 12 months, come back and then start again and just have the break I needed. So this was my master plan. And then right. I started to do this consultancy. And then what happened is I was getting phone calls saying, oh, we could do with your help over here. And what about coming over here? And suddenly, excuse me, suddenly I was working full time. My day rate had almost doubled and I was earning fantastic money and I thought I'm not bloody going to South America I must be mad and I cancelled my one-way ticket to South America and twice following in the last seven years I've attempted to get to South America and twice following I have also cancelled my trip you still haven't been so I still haven't been and I still oh, haven't no. been anywhere <laughs> So now I've got 20 years of work, but obviously what I've been able to do um, before I started Bums on Seats was I did about two years of just traveling Europe and taking lots of lovely long weekends on my own uh, because right. I could have done that. But anyway, so that's it's so good for the soul. It is so good. For the soul. So good. But it's I come from the old school breed whereby you work your nuts off until you fall over. And that's all right. my problem. You know, um, the, the idea now that we're talking and quite right, too, can I say about wellness and remote working and flexible hours and which is fantastic. That for me is a foreign concept. Yeah. <laughs> you office early than anyone else and you leave later than anyone else. And if you are not working like a martyr, you ain't doing your job. That was the, the breed that I came from. So it, right. it's interesting that I'm, I'm, I'm needing to rethink my morals and how I think we should work for my team. Because if I have the same expectations on my team, no one will work for me. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a very good point. And oh. where, do, where do you think that came from? Where do you think that ethic to just go I think came from? part of it is my personality. Ever since I was a little girl, I was a tomboy. I was, I was very athletic as well. And I'd throw myself into everything, which means I was always injured. You know, I'd be the one falling down Rosebury Topping when we lived in North Yorkshire because I'd be running too fast. Um, you know, I was, I, I just am, I'm gung-ho. I have no fear. You know, I just, I am just that person. Mm. Uh, I actually had acute renal failure. Both my kidneys failed when I was 21. And I quite genuinely was, my parents were told that I wasn't going to pull through. I couldn't have dialysis. I had other my issues. Life. So this was my first major health scare. But since that moment, it made me even more gung-ho and even more fearful. But but actually, I drive that into work. So this this 
perpetual desire to keep working harder and must be better and must do more and it's just it's just ingrained in me and it can be really unhealthy but it can also be fantastic and it's just about understanding something I'm not very good at which is thrown around a lot which is this thing apparently called balance I don't know if you've heard of it but just about to say there's there's a word that you should uh, investigate thing yeah it's a thing I've heard I've been told about it a lot I've done a bit of research trying to get there but I've you know it's uh, yeah it's got to be more of a balance <laughs> yeah I I the uh, I, I suppose I come from a, a similar school I was always told just to get your head down, crack on, you know, until there's nothing left to do. And there's yeah. always something to do. Yeah. But um, I have always had the the capability to to switch off. And I, uh, it's it's a lifesaver. And even I, I can read the signs when my, my brain is beginning to go, there's too much going on. You need to do something about this. And I'll give myself the benefit of, of a couple of days of just of brain brain relaxation time i think that's the the key thing physically no problem at all but the um but from the brain perspective that you know we're nothing without it are we so i completely agree and, and I, I genuinely think as much as you can read about this and people talk about it and you can see it until you experience the impact of not allowing that to happen you know what my health scale what happened to me was the was a build-up of of years really of not allowing myself to have a break of mm. continually just keeping going and burning out over and over and over again and not believing that I could be any other way you know I used to smoke 30 fags a day and the idea that I would never smoke was just bonkers to me you know, right. the idea that I wouldn't go and sink bottles of wine over the weekend and you know it was just of course that's what you do that's how you relax that I wouldn't have eight you know espressos a day to keep going um I just had this life it was okay that I I only got four hours sleep because I had coffee and fags and booze for the next day and I believed that I was best I was on form when I was running in this hamster wheel in that life and it yeah. was bizarre that I was so naive and that I honestly thought that that was when I was at my best yeah well and that's the other thing isn't it is that you there, again it comes back to balance there is a balance of you know you you do have to keep yourself busy because that's where the momentum comes from and that's where you you know you you get this forward projection in your life but at the same time there the the actually the thing that helps you get there quicker is by giving yourself a break Absolutely. and that's that comes in many forms it's not just about going for a holiday you know, it is about, I don't know, the dog walk or, you know, just, just getting out into, you know, going for a walk somewhere else or listening to some music, just not focusing on what's on your laptop or, or whatever. And it's, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's much easier said than done. Speaking of the dog, she has just arrived oh. in the studio and she's just whimpering at me at my feet. So there we are. Uh, welcome to the show, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Uh, no, I, I completely agree with you. And it, and it's funny because I always put myself last. So any of anybody that works for me currently or, you know, has worked for me in the past would hopefully vouch that I am a very, I know I'm a very caring manager and leader and I do always put the team first. So when I say people over profit, you know, that's not bullshit. I generally mean that it is people. Yeah of it and, and I put my money where my mouth is on that but when it comes to my welfare and my health and that's the last 
or it was certainly the last thing I would consider. And that's, and it's such a, it's such a revelation when you have the strength or you've forced to um, flip reverse that mindset mm. is by me being stronger and more healthy and happier and taking the time away from the business when I can and more mindful and all of those things everybody around me is also benefiting so yeah. what I was doing before was actually harming the people that I love the most through my own and I had no idea that I was even doing that either so the benefits of health and wellness and really putting some of these things into practice and taking that break are just like literally for me life-saving mm. yeah well um let's get on to that then so what what happened yeah so ultimately I um I've just I think I've been self-destructing health-wise for probably quite some time. And I think predominantly the last two years, and this was this will take, so time-wise, this is taking us up to, up until about four months ago, four and a half months ago. Right. I had a really tough COVID experience. I live on my own. I went through a really nasty breakup with, with my ex, which wasn't a good breakup. And, and I had a business to save and people's jobs to save and no mm. support the government we no one's unscathed we all have horror stories from covid but it, it just all hit me at once and it and i just was self-destructing really i was you know working too much drinking too much smoking too much all the usual stuff but definitely to excess not sleeping very stressed um anxiety taking sleeping pills you know not one not actually recognizing where all these links were coming from why am i getting i've never ever suffered with anxiety in my life before why am i suffering from that now you know yeah just not eating crap food, you know, just either eating nothing at all or just wanting to eat rubbish. And it's just been building up, building up. And it was very secret. I mean, nobody at all knew what I was going through. And I mean, nobody. I didn't talk about it. I put on a brave face. I am the master at brave faces. And um, and as one of my team will say, tits and teeth. You know, I'm the master at that. You know? <laughs> because, and, and I'm the master at it, not because I'm trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, because I, I want to... I want other people to think I'm okay for them. Um, so yeah. my, my parents are very close to my best friends. You know, no one knew that I was really suffering emotionally and physically. And then long story short, I was, uh, it all came to a, to a head. I, I was getting chest pains for a couple of days and I was just sort of powering through as you do. I was staying in a hotel in La Holborn. I'd had been out and had a few bottles of wine. It was about half eight at night. My chest pains were getting a lot worse and I was starting to panic. I was trying to listen to a, a, a reader, listening to a listening book, an audio book. And I thought this is, this is not normal. And I knew it wasn't coronavirus or COVID related. I was taking regular because at this point I, our office was open in London I was in and out of London um, and basically called 111 and they they said we need to send paramedics and by the time the paramedics got there um, I was on the collapsed on the floor I'd managed to write on my phone and so it makes me really emotional talking about it now but I've managed to write on my phone a few words to my parents to say you know don't let my death ruin your life because I was convinced that I was going right. to die um, because I've honestly never had feelings like it. The, pe the chest pains and the shortness, I've never had anything like that. Yeah. The paramedics, so they had to get the hotel um, manager, had to you know get, get, get them into the room. It was a tiny box room. And these paramedics basically saved my life because I cannot explain to you how amazing they were. And they were two young guys. And, you know, any other time I probably would have been quite embarrassed. <laughs> Um, but they were just, they were just amazing. And my blood pressure was 250, 
which was, you know, cardiac arrest. Mm. And they said, you know, they've never, as paramedics in London, they've never seen a blood pressure that high. And I'm a 36-year-old woman um, who should not have a blood pressure that high. Yeah, in your um, prime. In my well, I, I wasn't. I, I like to think I'm more now. Um, and ultimately, I was rushed into hospital. And while we were in the ambulance and the paramedics just got everything out of me, he just spoke to me and I just broke down and just told him how much I've been struggling and that I wanted to be different and I wanted to make a change and... Um, and he just said, you know, you're really brave. And he said, you're the most polite person we've ever had in an ambulance. Because I just kept apologising. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like, this is our job. Anyway, I was taken into A&E and I spent um, almost 12 hours, which you're not actually allowed to spend more than 12 hours in A&E because unfortunately the first two drugs that they gave me in the IV were, I had a reaction to for my right. heart. So I, it was quite touch and go. By this point, my, my kidney had also failed my other girl one of my kidneys has failed um and my liver was 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 because I was fueling my liver with so many booze and bad things and my liver was not fighting any immunity which is you know, obviously the key job of your liver so my liver mm. was a really nasty place as well and 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 I was just really ill um and they gave me morphine and I was moved up to ACU and I by the time I came round I sort of looked around this, you know, there's only three other women in the in the room with me and they were all very elderly. One of them was a stroke victim. And, and that's when I thought, oh, shit, I've really messed myself up here. This isn't good. And ultimately, I, I stayed in hospital for four days um, and I had they were the most incredible, um, incredible hospital, incredible people. And I had, you know, drug and alcohol counsellors come around. I had the whole works and started to obviously tell friends and stuff what was going on. And there's two things, really. I categorically screwed up my own body through high level stress, through not eating properly, through anxiety, through drinking too much, through smoking too much. I absolutely damaged my, my body. And, and over a period of time, you know, not probably even going back to, to how I lived as a teenager in those formative years, you know, all of it just came to a head. And obviously knowing that I'd had kidney failure in the past, and then the second part of that, I guess, is I I possibly had issues in my heart anyway. I possibly had, I've had heart murmurs in the past. I possibly had a weakness. And I just remember thinking the bloody irony that I'm someone that has the biggest heart, that has a heart that's just not doing its job because my heart valves were yeah. big enough to pump blood around my body. And it, it it's just, it was just, a, I'm just, it's just a mess. Right. So, so um, literally overnight, it was like a switch went off and I have never to this day, I haven't uh, picked up a cigarette. I haven't, you know, had a late night. I haven't got pissed. I haven't, you know, all that stuff. I just stopped there and then. And I had to sit, I sat my parents down and told them the, really the truth about how I've been feeling, what's been going on. I had, I cu I've cut certain people and things out of my life that I knew that weren't good. And I basically, I work out four to five times a week. I've got into weights training. I'm now running. I'm doing at least a 10, five, uh, 5K, a 10 and 5K run a week as well on top of the weights training. I am put time in my diary at work to know that, you know, on a Friday, for example, I don't want meetings. I want to, you know, be a CEO and be the visionary that I am and um, take care of myself and not go back to working 100 hours a week, 80 hours a week, which is the reality of what I was doing. And that high stress environment, knocking all the drugs on the head like your bloody ibuprofen every time I had the slightest pain and my sleeping pills just because I couldn't sleep well, which I was just living on these, these medications all the time. The slightest snivel, I'd be popping, you know, flu capsules. Like, why, you know? 
eat not cooking so now I only have home cooked food I don't use delivery um, you know all these things and I've realized that so much of it is about making better choices and I made really bad choices and yeah. I didn't know the impact they would have to my organs and my brain and my mind and I can't tell you for six weeks so six weeks I was going through hell because my body was in cold turkey of everything and I was on really high uh, you know heart medication and everything as well which actually doesn't have side effects, but obviously it was just a medley and my body was just trying to expel so much crap really. And I had the, the worst six weeks and I was still coming back into the, into the business. I only took two weeks off work throughout all of this. Wow. Um, because you Blimey. just can't take longer. Um, and I just needed to get back in the business, but yeah, yeah. it was just, I, I didn't know how good I could feel. And I think that the reality is for probably a good four or five years, I have never felt truly who I was meant to be. And the fact that the business survived that and has thrived now and that we are in a good place with bums on seats and my team are happy. And of course, it's not been, you know, there's many mistakes that I've made because of my lifestyle choices within the company. I could have done better, but we've done bloody well. Um, I think is quite phenomenal, actually. And I, I am really proud of myself. And you know what? I could never have said to anybody that I was proud of myself as a human before what I've been through recently because I always know deep down that I was not a great example to others because I always knew deep down how I was handling stress and work and life was not anything inspirational but now yeah. now I am and yeah. that is what really matters not yeah. how much revenue the company makes, not how much profit we turn over, if at all any, after the last 18 months. Yeah. But what yeah. really matters is how you feel and how you love yourself and how you treat other people. And actually, cutting through all the crap, that's all there is at the end of the day. Here, here, and and wow. Like, I I, I didn't know the half of it. Obviously, I, I had the, um, the little bit of, of what you posted on LinkedIn, and we've spoken briefly in, in the past, but... To hear it in such detail, you know, I, I, the body is a very clever thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? Ultimately, it does tend to tell you when enough's enough. Yeah. And um, and that's, it sounds like that's what happened. And in in a weird way, and maybe you could probably look back on it now and reflect this way, it, it was a good thing that it happened. Oh my god, one hundred percent. And I never, I. I, a, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. B, I got myself into that state. I am accountable. I can't blame anyone else. You can't blame other people. Mm. C, thank God, because they told me in no uncertain terms, in 10 years' time, you will die. You will not be here. If this had happened to me in 10 years' time, I would not have survived. That's that's yeah. it. That's, that's black and white. Like, when you hear that at 36, you 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 go shit you know that i've got no choice and my life expectancy is lower i'm still on heart medication can i reverse it time will tell so yeah but of course i'm glad it happened then because it had it have been later it could have potentially been irrevocable and as it stands there's still massive opportunities and chances that i will revoke it and i'll revoke mm. damage and my god am i going to try and do that because as we've established i don't quit and it's now just channeling that that desire to not quit and to succeed into the positive into the healthy as opposed into the into the things that aren't good for you so yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I guess as well, what happens in that process is, is that, of course, now that you are mindful of looking after yourself better, yeah. you become a better leader, 
you are giving yourself more time to free up that headspace to 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 look at the bigger picture and how you can make your business better and do that thing that you want to do which is you know make the world a better place yeah all of these things you're putting yourself into a much better position to do now because you're you're first and foremost you're looking after yourself and uh, and a healthy you will get a lot more done than than one who who is not healthy oh absolutely it's, it's energy levels you know it's just amazing like the weekend now i wake up i mean I, I always wake up in the week about half five six weekends i probably wake up about seven um but normally by eight o'clock i'm out and i'm doing a 10k trail run and then i might be going to the gym after that for an hour or i'll do an hour of spin class and then i'll be cleaning the house and then i'll be popping and seeing a friend and then i'll be and like how much more i can pack into my day is bonkers because you you I'm so much healthier and so much more energized yeah so, you know absolutely if you want to be a great leader or if you want to be um fantastic in whatever your passions or enthusiasms about life is whatever you enjoy doing the way to to do more of the good stuff is to look after your body and your mind because it just it every it, the knock-on effect is 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 just staggering and um and i really wish i understood that but i just didn't and i think our industry as a whole Everything starts and stops with a drink, every celebration. You know, everything is still why people don't want to work for us at the moment. We have a bad rep. It's hard work. You can't work for us and do it lightly. It takes a lot of energy and time. Mm. We don't necessarily talk to each other always in the most respectful way. I think especially for the the younger generation, you know, there's some old school mentality, which actually we can't get away with now. And there's some bias and there's all of these things. And... Um, hospitality, you know, isn't the best industry to look after your health. And that's just a fact. And yeah. it needs to change. It needs to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it needs to change by having conversations like this that then hopefully people listen to and, and uh, take action. Mm. Ultimately, there's a lot more that we can control than we think we can. And we were just talking before we turned the microphone on around, you know, hasn't covid demonstrated just what an adaptable species we are yeah. we we can turn so quickly or you know into a different way of thinking into a different direction so let's use that newfound knowledge of being that way inclined and let's almost have an amnesty this is kind of hospitality's hashtag me too moment let's get the dirty laundry out there as much as we can let's not lambast and hang people out to dry for it it's just been, you know, it's been ingrained and it's been the way that people have learned in the past, but let's not make it the way that people learn in the future. Yeah. And if we do all of these things, then we we stop alienating people. We welcome people in. We turn this into what I still think can be the greatest industry on earth with, with what you, what it can bring to you as a human being, but also what you can bring to other human beings. And uh, yeah, I'm going to stop ranting. No, Phil, please, I rant away because like, we are in fact on the same page. And, and do you know what? It, I always say it is the most amazing industry. It's the best industry. It's the only industry that I've ever felt. I, I feel so connected to it. It is, it is literally in my blood. Like I care about it so much. I really do have, have gas facts. We give a shit. Like it's, it's off the yeah. top how much I am passionate about it. But that doesn't mean that we're blinking about it either. And, and I think it does take 
it takes people that love it to be able to make the change as well. And when we are doing that, and there is some, there's some really positive examples of, of the industry and how we've come together over the last 18 months, because it's been horrific for everybody in this sector, every business owner, every worker. Um, and I think, you know, we have collaborated and partnered and come together in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in such a wonderful way. And a long may that continue, because if we do that and then start tackling some of these obvious obstacles and uh, challenges around health and wellness and hospitality, then actually that's when change does happen. Yeah, um, absolutely. Everything you say is, is bang on. So yeah. and, and there's definitely enough people in this industry that, that give a monkeys enough oh, and care, care enough. I agree. Yeah. So let's yeah, let's come together and and make it happen definitely yeah uh, there's my call to arms right there <laughs> hospitality fights back there we are there's there we a, i like that let's yeah let's get on Absolutely. no i'd uh but well, it, it dawned on me that we jumped straight to that really without kind of completing your your story yeah. uh, we, we t- we've talked talked loosely about the fact obviously that you are the ceo at bums on seats but but tell us what bums on seats do Sure, I will. So, um, so Bums on Seats is a is an agency essentially, um, which is the first of its kind. It's an outsourced sales and strategic business development agency. So, where you would outsource things like your marketing or your finance, we are the people that will go into operators, predominantly pubs, bars, and restaurants. And ensure that they have the right tools or the right people or the right systems or the right process to drive organic growth. And most importantly, understand their customer and how to build those crucial long term relationships with their guests. So um, I started, founded the company in Jan 2019 after an idea I had when I was an independent consultant just to do what I do, but with more people. Very simple. Right. Came up with the name via a, a business mentor, a lady called Karen Davis, who I can't have to credit for the name because I was scratching my head with her going, what the hell do I call it? And she said, well, what do you do? And I said, the thing is, Karen, all we do is put bums on seats. And she said, well, there you go. Yeah, you the name was born. And I have to say it was a stroke of genius. Um, well, and it kind of business- does exactly what it says on the tin, right? <laughs> Yeah, which is, which is, I think, is very much like me. I do what I say on the tin as well. You know, I'm a fairly, I'm a very sort of transparent, heart on your sleeve, black and white person. There's no side to me, and I think the and, and the business reflects that. Um, and I, when you start a company, as you know, you know, you get you have a blank book. It's a it's an open book. It doesn't matter what's happened before. It doesn't matter what other companies are doing or not doing. You get to decide what you want your business to represent. And for yep. me, the culture of the company. Company, um, was the first thing that was absolutely unnegotiable that we got that right and that's everything around the hearts and minds bit and that's why I've got the the values that I've got you know integrity and passion and really forefront of our business and uh, lots of companies say that of course they do but I didn't want to just say it you go and ask anyone who works for me and there's you know 23 of us in the business now ask any of them what are the bums values they should they would should be able to tell you very easily but more than just being able to reel them off they genuinely mean something and and it's how we treat each other and our clients and our staff it's a complicated business it's a consultancy it's an agency it's uh, sales it's a bit of marketing um it's not really been done before in this way my business model has not been done before so i've got no bloody idea whether my commercials were right for the first 18 months <laughs> Um, you know, I, I hired consultants to begin with, although I treat them like employees. Now I've got a mix of both. But when COVID hit, no one got help from the government because often they'd left full time jobs to come work for me as a freelancer. So oh, they only God, got yeah. university. 
And so the 55, 60 grand I lost last year was spent to keep my team in rent and to make sure that they could buy themselves food throughout the time that we had no clients. And I would lose that money again and again and again if, if that was what that, that meant. So I've got a team of people, a team of leaders, my leadership team, who have all worked for me almost since the beginning of the company. Um, they are incredible. And that is just growing all the time. And underneath my leaders are our, our guest experience team, our sort of junior account managers who are just phenomenal coming up through the ranks. And it's just a, it's a wonderful environment. And I'm very proud of it. And ultimately, we audit businesses, we analyze businesses, and then we tell them how they can grow more sales through planning and activation and delivery. And then we train and develop them as well. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. But do you know what? I haven't even touched the sides of where we're going to take the company, like the plans I have next for next year. Ooh. And little irons in the fire I'm working on at the moment that I can't I can't express enough how it is a joy that it's 24-7 for me because all I do is think about all these opportunities, all these great people I want to connect with, all these great clients that I want to have. And we have some freaking amazing clients at the moment and it's so exciting. And then I get, I stay awake going, we've got to make sure we deliver for them. And, you know, I've just put in something called Peachy Awards um, where my two of my team every month get £250 in cash. Um, and that's not, you know, for delivering for our clients. And that's a, a cost to me in the business. That's not, I'm not asking that from our clients, but I'm doing it because, you know, little incentives and stuff like that go along way obviously it's not all cash you know we do a lot of like we i want to do a bums panto for example for christmas you know we do a lot of really fun stuff as well we do a lot of stuff through through lockdown and i just constantly want to have a positive voice in the industry we've got some fantastic um sort of webinars a really great big full-on module webinar coming up via propel soon which you'll all hear about but we're doing a lot of sort of e-learning training with people like cpl and hopefully flow as well so there's just it's just like so much more that we are going to be doing, that we are doing. We've got the best partners, the best clients, the best people. And if, genuinely every day, I just love it more and more. But I am learning that I also need to have some time away from it. And that's that's the difference that I haven't had before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People will love you more for it um, yes. in the end. Because well, you, I mean, how, they how many... break from me, Phil, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this energy level when i now don't drink caffeine it's still the same if not higher so right they're probably going to be like oh, oh, can you go back to drinking please yeah i know yeah could you go yeah. back to having a lion please yeah. <laughs> oh dear yeah but that, that no that's awesome that all sounds wonderful and you are there's no question about it in the short time that we've known each other you are definitely one of the most positive can-do people that i've ever come across mm. uh, it's really really infectious uh, and I hope that, that people who are listening to this kind of get that infection uh, as well. Uh, so I take my hat off to you in terms of what you've been through and not just what you've been through from a health perspective recently, but uh, you know, your, your whole story is kind of one of overcoming adversity. And, you know, you've just maybe you've, you had to go through all of that to become the person that you now are. And I, I'd love all I love that kind of concept that, you know, adversity should be welcomed that sounds probably a bit a bit <laughs> steep especially when you're talking about life and death situations but what you learn about yourself in adversity is you know the, there's no classroom where you can go learn that that's no. just that's just shit that happens to you and how you how you deal with it and recognizing the moments where you need to ask help and you can't deal with it yourself uh, and recognizing the moments when you think right this is going to be tough but I think I've got this 
and yeah you you've definitely you've got all of that in your your story and it feels like now you have the the base foundation to skyrocket yourself into uh, just amazing things Oh, Phil, thank you so much. Well, look, hopefully, um, you know, I can come back and uh, we can have a catch up in a few months or something and we can see about oh, well, my got... progress. That would be great. Yeah, well, you've got loads of plans for the future. We'll definitely be doing a part two um, once uh, once you get some of them in motion. But uh, yeah, final thing before you, you go, what would you say to somebody who at this point in time was contemplating a, a career in hospitality? Oh, I would say absolutely do it because you're you're entering the industry at a point where there is a lot of change happening and you can be pivotal in that change. So there is no better time to enter the industry and have some some you know genuine positive impact. And it is an industry that will take care of you. And there is absolutely career progression because I'm a classic example of that. Um, it just does take that sort of can-do attitude and, and a solution-based person, I would say. But I always advocate working in the industry. I think it's incredible. And look, I think employers have never been hotter in terms of their wellness and appreciation of their staff. Everyone knows how much more we need to do. Um, so there is a, there's a lot more care. There's definitely more career progression. There's roles that are being created for marketing sales operations that just didn't exist or weren't needed before because of how consumer behavior has changed in the last 18 months. So it's a fantastic time to join the sector. But of course, it will always be a sector that determines hard work and a solution base thinker so if the, if and someone that got you know has got bags of personality so if if that's you it's a no-brainer yeah there's, there's also a couple of really good mentors in the industry like you and me phil which i guess you of know if, if that doesn't entice you then nothing will <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely but I did, actually mentors like us grow on trees in the uh, in the industry <laughs> um, there's so many good people at the end of the day you know it's it's about being hospitable that's why you come into this this industry so you're going to come into contact with people who are used to giving you their time um that's just that's just in the psyche but not to say that you and i are not the greatest mentors on the planet (laughs) earth because we're we're up there we're we're, we're amongst Uh, a lot of others you're absolutely right we are in my own house i'm definitely i'm definitely in the top two yeah (laughs) (laughs) I live on my own. I'm always. Oh, bless you. You're the number one. <laughs> I'm the number one. Oh dear, Phil, it's oh, been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a, I've had a really great, great time chatting away to you. So yeah, hopefully we'll we'll do this again soon. Absolutely, and I, I massively appreciate you you being so open with with your story today, and uh, hopefully some people will take some inspiration from it. I certainly have. Oh, thank you. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And there we have it. What an absolute inspiration Amber is and we could all learn a huge valuable lesson from her. Look after your health and yourself and you'll do your best work. Life really is too short. Once again, a huge thank you to Amber for sharing her story so openly. Join us again next week for more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.